Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate uh, Variability Podcast. I am Matt, and I'm here today uh, with Boss, uh, who gave me that gift of uh, not trying to pronounce his whole name, so I want to thank him right off the bat for that. Um, I came across uh, his work around readiness, and it's such an important topic, and one we haven't touched on nearly, I, I think, enough in our podcast. So when, when I saw his work, his research uh, with the group that he was working with, I just like, I, I got to talk to this guy, uh, dive into this research, because I think we throw around the term pretty loosely in the HRV field. And I, I like to get really scientific uh, with Boss. So Boss, can you just give a, a quick introduction of yourself and uh, maybe just kind of how you came to heart rate variability? Yeah, sure. So I'm a PhD researcher at Maastricht University, Department of Nutrition and Movement Sciences. So that's in the Netherlands, for those who don't know. Uh, know. And um, I'm an athlete myself also, in addition to the research. And I guess it's motivated the whole study a bit by just being an athlete and also my background as a coach and also just as a researcher. Because both as a coach, an athlete, and as a researcher, one of the things that is just very interesting indeed is just to see what should we be doing today for training? Like how intense should it be? Yes. What should the volume be ideally? Should I train at all actually, or should it better take a day off? So the whole concept of defining a measure of readiness, of course, then is very important because that might provide us some clue, like can we train? And if so, how hard should we be training? What volume? And what of the things we potentially might be measuring there is heart rate variability. So traditionally that has been done in resting conditions to get some idea but more recently it has also been uh, done during exercise and that might there's not a lot of data there but potentially be even more sensitive and especially with the uh, detrend fluctuation analysis of heart rate variabilities just like sounds very complex just for those who are listening just one way to analyze heart rate variability data um so yeah just Another metric, essentially, that we might derive from the heart rate variability that might give us some clue into uh, training readiness. So perhaps I'll just leave for there for now and leave you to comment. Yeah, I, because I, I love this topic because as, as an athlete myself, many, I can say decades ago at this point, um, you know, I was, uh, when, when I was an athlete, you just pushed yourself literally to, if you didn't vomit, you weren't working hard enough. Like that, that was sort of the mentality, whether you threw up or not. The coach would like it if you went over the trash can and pretended like like there, there was like that and you got up the next day at 5 a.m. and you did it all over again. And there was I, I just I it would have been a total different experience, probably not just I would probably have performed better when I needed to, but I probably would have enjoyed my sport a lot more if I actually was in a healthy spot to engage in my sport. And so. I would just love uh, maybe we can we can start out by talking about that the metrics you, your your study that uh, I found in the AAPB journal 
kind of maybe walk us through, uh, you know, uh, your study, your protocol, because it is a little bit different from the resting that were maybe typical. And then I'd love to like get practical about how you use this as a coach as well. Yeah. Okay. Clear. So what we did in the study is we um, measured a few just recreational uh, athletes essentially, and they came to the lab twice. Uh, I think there was about a week between uh, two of the measurements. And what they did in each of the measurements is they uh, uh, went on the treadmill. Then they performed first a bout of exercise, a very low intensity exercise, uh, about let's say it was about 10 kilometers per hour on average for these individuals. So below their first ventilatory threshold. And then they, after like a five, five minutes of running at that exercise intensity, we slowly started to increase the speed of the treadmill to perform a so-called VO2max test um, until exhaustion. And right after that first ramp, we did another ramp to have them also being really fatigued. And that's exactly what we also repeated on the second day. So we published two studies from those experiments. So the first one is where we looked at the between session reliability of heart rate variability metrics and also of the VO2 and just heart rate in general to have some comparison like how accurate is our heart rate variability metric compared to other metrics that we could be measuring, at least in our lab yeah. setting. Um, and in another study, we also looked at the agreement between the detrended fluctuation analysis of heart rate variability. And then if you use that to deter to analyze the first ventilatory threshold, how well does it agree with what we can measure with the gas exchange data in a non-fatigue condition? So during the first ramp and also when we are fatigued, so during the second ramp. Um, so that's the sort of two studies uh, that we've been doing there. I feel like there's a semester long course to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> that is so, so really interesting. Like everything that you're looking at. So I, I just can't hold back. What, what were some of the things, what, what are some of the findings? Uh, and again, may, maybe with that, the, if we've got may, maybe the weekend warrior, but maybe an athlete who wants to use heart rate variability, well, what are some maybe some tangible things uh, coming away? So let's talk about maybe the findings first uh, before I, I I get real practical about how I can uh, how how I can implement this in my own life. So uh, what what were some of the uh, findings uh, that you came with? I will start there with the study that's not directly related to the readiness but i think that will eventually lead us to the readiness study awesome. so that's the study where we looked at the agreement between the so the dva so the three trend of fluctuation analysis of heart rate variability uh, and then the first ventilatory threshold so that's a specific value of 0 0.75 that agrees with the uh, based on previous research with the gas exchange uh, first ventilatory threshold yeah. and we indeed found also when we um, measured that, that uh, method with the heart rate variability and compared it with the gas exchange data, we found quite close agreement. And in fact, the agreement was within the same variability that you would have if you uh, use, for example, the gas exchange data and have two different people determine the ventilatory threshold. So essentially, you get the same information in your, if you're not fatigued. So that's, I guess, quite an interesting finding because that suggests if we want to get some real-time feedback on our training intensity because we also use a heart rate like a chest belt actually just right. a polar h10 so we didn't yep. use the ecg and everything so that's another let's say novel thing of our study um so 
it, it can then potentially be used in fields. Just you just run with a, a chess belt, you get an app, might even be in the future on your smartwatch. There's some computational issues there, but it can be done by an app on your phone, and you can just in real time see what is your training intensity relative to well, specifically for you. So are you below your first ventilatory threshold, below the second one, anywhere in between? Um, so that's what we then show to be quite a close agreement with the gas exchange data. But this is also where the interesting part of the study comes in. There have been a few studies that also found this, but they all investigated this in non-fatigue conditions. And that's where the second ramp comes in. So remember, we had the participants perform a first ramp until view to max, so increased speed until they were exhausted. We yeah. gave them a short rest period, just from the top of my head again, five minutes. And then we performed the second ramp. So they were still fatigued from the prior ramp. And then in the second ramp, we again looked at the agreement between the first ventilatory threshold with the gas exchange data and the heart rate variability. And there we actually saw that there was quite a large difference. So that would suggest Indeed, if you're not fatigued, which is, well, in a lab setting, you might have this scenario that you're not fatigued, but in, in field setting, I guess, if you're right. training regularly, you might have some residual fatigue. And then it would suggest, well, that method of defining your training intensity based on your heart rate variability might not be that valid because what we found in the second ramp, at the same speed, the heart rate variability, so the DVA value was quite suppressed. So if you would just look at the DVA value, it would suggest you're running above your second ventilatory threshold, but the gas exchange data clearly shows you're actually just running below your VT1. So again, that shows it's like in theory, it's nice to use. And if you're, again, not fatigued, it can be used. But if you're a bit fatigued, then it really becomes questionable whether it can be used to determine training intensity. So that's like the, the, the disadvantage, but it also opens up actually like an, a door to some other avenue to use that metric because because it's sensitive to fatigue it means we can also potentially use it of course then to assess fatigue yes. and therefore if we just use that metric during a training session we might again there's not not no training studies on this but that's just what we suggested if you would monitor your dva value during a training session and you see it becomes be below a critical value for a consistent period of time you might just say, well, I've been like fatiguing my body so much. This is probably sufficient fatigue to get a sufficient training adaptation. And if I go even further, I might not be, well, adding much in terms of training adaptations, but I might be adding a lot of, let's say, mechanical damage uh, to my system. So in terms of injury risk, that might be not beneficial. Um, and of course, it, we could use it just prior to a training session uh, to determine training readiness because it's sensitive to fatigue. And that yeah. then brings us to the second study, of course, where we looked at the reliability, because if you want to use it to like prior to a training session to assess if you are fatigued and if you should potentially modify your training program, then of course we want a metric to be reliable. So right. essentially, if you are in exactly the same condition, so you are exactly the same level of fatigue, you have the same hydration status, the environment is exactly the same, you would, of course, expect that DVA metric to show you exactly the same value. Because if it doesn't, then it's not really useful because then it's right. just random variability independent of your fatigue level. So that's what we then investigated in that sort of second uh, study that you uh, started with, where we looked at the between session uh, variability or reliability of this DVA metric. And there we also looked uh, at the reliability in non-fatigue conditions and in fatigue conditions. 
And in the non-fatigue conditions, we showed it to be quite, well, exhibit quite reasonable. Uh, I, I think from the top, we had 0.78 on average, uh, like ICC, intracranial correlation coefficient, for those who want to know. So it's like yeah. a good level of uh, relative agreement. And that's comparable to what we showed for the between session reliability of heart rate and VO2, so oxygen consumption. Um, but in the non-fatigue conditions, we, well, as expected, I guess, we showed that the ICC value, so the reliability was a bit reduced. Um, and it was a little bit lower also than what we saw for the heart rate and for the oxygen consumption, but still it showed acceptable levels of reliability. Mm -hmm. So again, we, we don't know for sure if the, the reliability is sufficient to be actually useful for in-field data. But the fact that it is well, acceptable according to that statistical construct suggests there might be some potential to use the DVA method in field to monitor training readiness. So there are a lot of more details to discuss there, but I'm going to stop there to give you some uh, chance to respond. Well, well I, I mean, I, the, the thing that pops into my brain, because I, you know, with my journey with heart rate variability, you know, it's that you know, can, can it be used during a game? Can it be used? Like, is, is there kind of real time during activity where it could be useful? And the answer I think overall has been no. I mean, and this is why I was, I really excited to see your research because we need someone in a consistent position, sitting, laying, whatever it might be, we need them breathing at a regular basis. We need to get a baseline. You know, there, there's all those sort of, even, even now that we have apps, you know, that we, we like at Optimal is like, you've got to do this the same way every morning and you don't pay attention to your breathing. Just breathe, you know, all these variables to get you in a normal state, whatever that is uh, with this. And so I, I just, I'm really exciting to see that, that it is, it is, there's the potential to bring this into these higher stress situations, obviously with athletics is both psychological and physical. We know both showing up in HRV. So let, let's say let's say that confidence level, we, we do another study and it's high and you're feeling good about this. Everybody uh, likes your uh, confidence uh, levels. And I give you an unlimited grant uh, uh, to, to, to integrate this into, into sport. What are what are we looking at here from a practicality level, allowing you to dream a little bit? I know with researchers, I got I got to give that that permission uh, to dream, and you you can say, "Hey, I'm dreaming here uh, with this." But but what are we what are we looking at as you kind of look into how this could be applied, um, or how you're applying this uh, in the athletic arena? Yeah, sure. So before I start dreaming, I think it's good to note one thing that prevents us currently from dreaming too much about it, but I do think that's overcomable. So I think we included from the top of my head something like 26 subjects into the study, but eventually we were able to only get accurate data. So the DVA, heart rate variability data for from the top of my head, again, 14 of the subjects, mm -hmm. which means about half of the sample dropped out. And mostly because the, the DVA method is very sensitive to artifacts and the heart rate variability. So if you miss one heart rate beat, yeah. then of course the time will be messed up and there are some correction methods to apply there. But again, the method is very sensitive. So yeah. that's why I think currently 
it's tr still quite tricky to apply. Damn um, artifacts. So <laughs> yeah. So that's good to just keep in the back of the head. Yeah. But again, I think that's something that we can probably overcome, which is improvements in hardware specifications and potentially some software within a chest belt, for example. We have multiple sensors in a chest belt. So if we assume that our future chest belts are able to capture this heart rate variability with higher accuracy, then indeed I could foresee that we might be using this metric um, potentially to determine training readiness. As I explained before, just prior to the session, we perform, let's say I'm, I'm an athlete, I'm going to do a track session. And prior to each track session, I do a warm-up probably anyway. And during that warm-up, I just run 3K. And during that 3K, I just try and standardize the speed at which I run it and I measure my DVA value. And if I've done this, let's say for 10 of my prior interval sessions, I know approximately what my normal DVA value is going to be. If I didn't like do any super intense training a day prior to that in, uh, interval yeah. session, so I'm not too fatigued. Um, like the environment is quite constant. It's not super hot or super cold or whatever. So I just know approximately my value with some variability. And then I can use the value that I measure today prior to my interval session along potentially with some subjective measures, like how do I feel? Uh, I could do some questionnaires to, for this, but also just subjectively, how do I feel? Right. Combine this with objective data that I get from the heart rate variability, and then use that information uh, within an app, for example, um, to integrate what should I be doing with my training session. If I feel very fatigued, my heart rate variability, DVA, val uh, DVA value is very suppressed, then it would perhaps suggest, well, both objectively and subjectively, the data is telling me it's probably not, well, best to do at least a very intense session. At least that's what we know. We can come back to this in a second from some heart rate variability training-based studies. Um, or just to reduce the um, the volume of the session. If it's like very poor, I might even just completely skip the, the high-intensity session and instead do a more low-intensity session, which we know has less effects on autonomic fatigue, glycogen depletion, mechanical bone damage, for example. So for various reasons, that might be beneficial to do in such a, such a situation. So that's a training readiness example. And we could also just apply it, as I explained before, during a training session. So if we, again, there's not, no research so far, but potentially, again, I'm dreaming a bit. We have done a, quite a few studies in the future where we just show if you train until your DVA value has dropped until a certain threshold, we see certain training adaptations, but for a group that train even harder, so their DVA value dropped below that value at the end of the training session, we don't see any additional training effects yeah. or they're very marginal, but we do see a higher risk of injury, for example, or mm -hmm. higher overtraining effects. So that's how we then potentially might also be using such a value to guide a bit how how, how much fatigue, system uh, systemic fatigue have we been uh, inducing onto the body and perhaps that's sufficient for this training session or perhaps I'm super fresh today, I cope well with it. I can actually do another run, at least according to yeah. just the HRV uh, metric. And I wonder as you start, because it's one thing for uh, us to nerd out about this uh, and get into this and, you know, I wonder as you talk to um, or as you think about, you know, relaying this to coaches or athletes, uh, oftentimes from different generations. So, you know, I think old folks like me, you come in and say, oh, you know, Matt just needs to lay off a little bit because his HRV is not where I, 
you know, I just know some people would say, no, no, we're, we're pushing it today because we push it every day. And we, you know, that, that mentality, you know, one of the things I think is interesting for folks like us is how do we talk about this to people, not all of which have maybe even heard the term heart rate variability uh, with that. So I, I'm wondering, like, as you think about communicating this in a, in a practical way, how open are people? How do you get that message across? You know, maybe especially to people who never really maybe heard the term heart rate variability, but aren't really up to speed on on all the research that's out there. So what we know from the research on, let's say, technology adoption there in both mm -hmm. users and coaches is that we see that people that are just starting with running, for example, they typically use, let's say, a very simple watch or app that just tracks yeah. their distance, uh, for example, and, and their time and speed. But if they get more interested and more experience into training, then indeed we see they also get interested in using other metrics such as some kind of biomechanical loading, but also uh, physiological data, such as heart rate, heart rate variability. And I think that's the group that might be yeah, interested in such metrics. And especially also, of course, the well, yeah, the better trained athletes, because they can integrate all of the information they get from different apps, systems yeah. to see how intense should I be training. And I think that's also then where I would see the utility of such a metric. So just to combine it with other metrics, such as, again, simply subjective, how are you feeling? And mm -hmm. then you have some objective data to also tell you what should I be doing? And I think a key advantage potentially is there for coaches also, because if you ask athletes, how do you feel? Some athletes might just say, well, I feel great today because they want to train because they think right. if I train today, I'm going to improve. Yeah. But if then the objective data is telling you, well, actually, this athlete is not really fit, then it might at least give you some extra opportunity to keep questioning, do, do you really feel fit? And then explain them to them, well, if you're really not fit, it might actually be better not to train that hard. It's not going to make any difference in terms of selection for a team at the competition this weekend. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I hope that gives some yeah. ideas on where to apply it as well. Absolutely. And I wonder too, because one of the big, I think... Uh, the, the, the big messages we try to send is an increased risk of injury. You know, if that, that's something you often hear in this readiness, especially when it comes to athletes, uh, injury and illness are, are kind of the, the, the mantras that uh, you hear that if you have a low HRV, that is the risk factors uh, that, that, that can happen. And I heard kind of that that coming from, from you as well. So, you know, again, there's science behind injury and illness, even though I think it gets repeated so much, we just kind of throw it out there. I would, one of the questions I, I don't think a lot of people ask is, okay, let's say my, my HRV is trash today. I went out drinking last night. I didn't eat, I, I've eaten a whole bunch of inflammatory foods, you know, nothing I've done as well. So I show up to practice. I, I, my HRV is in the toilet. Uh, even the, with that, why am I more at risk potentially for injury? Because I would assume my legs would still work like my legs should work. My butt should still work like my butt works. Like, you know, all those things, maybe cognitively, if I'm like playing basketball or need to, to be cognitively engaged, I can see why. But like, why, why is that increase of risk 
there. It, like I said, it's a question I think we all just assume is true without kind of asking experts like you is, okay, how's my leg or other parts get injured just because my heart rate variability is in the toilet today? Yeah, that's a good question. So if we assume again that we have that ideal metric that perfectly reflects fatigue, systemic yeah. fatigue, um, then we could argue that indeed heart rate variability then reflects systemic fatigue. And if we have systemic fatigue, that means we, we know from some research that, for example, if you have uh, fatigue due to uh, sleep uh, deprivation, that reaction time decreases. Yeah. Uh, we also know that um, muscle, well, especially rapid force development and muscles also tend to decrease when you're fatigued. Um, and there are several mechanisms by which that could increase injury risk so if we look at um let's say distance running if you have muscles that are fatigued the muscles for some lower limb uh, segments for example they this is getting a bit more into the biomechanics but if, if you run you have certain forces acting on your bones on your tendons and mm -hmm. let's take bones as the example there you have so-called bending moments on for example the tibia so essentially it means that your bone each time you hit the ground it's being bent a little bit yeah. and we know that this bending force causes just a little bit of micro damage and it's mm. not a problem but if you just right. keep running if you do a marathon you have quite a lot of damage accumulated and if you do that yeah. the next day more damage now what's important part there is that muscles can actually counteract a part of these bending forces so but if your muscles are fatigued then of course that means these these bending forces will be greater because we okay. have less of the muscle forces contributing to the other direction and then that that's what like one of the let's say more mechanical reasons why fatigue might increase injury risk and then it could be other factors like i explained before this reaction time which might be a bit more relevant in let's say high intensity sports situations agility where you're quickly changing direction yeah not um, a mechanism if you have eaten let's say bad food quality so you haven't really refilled your glycogen storages there is also some research that if you then exercise the day after you have uh, higher uh, turnover of bone damage markers so again suggest that you're inducing in some way more damage to your bones so that just various reasons both let's say mechanical and physiological that can explain why fatigue in general and that might not be reflected by the heart rate variability uh, can increase your injury risk if you're exercising especially high intensity when you're fatigued Awesome. So, so let me throw out a, uh, just a scenario here that, you know, so, so I kind of, uh, even though I have a, an athletic background, I, I came to heart rate variability through the mental health space, you know, as, as a measure of, um, you know, that, that sort of fatigue. So, so let me give you a scenario because maybe we're hitting something that we need to be talking more about in our field is, Let's say we got that athlete who's going to go through your assessment, uh, that that two-stage two assessments. But right before, and I don't know how you would measure this in a laboratory, I get in a horrible fight with my spouse. So I, I've got, in other words, psychological, there's, let's not call it trauma, but I've, I'm psychologically distressed as I, as I enter your laboratory well-controlled setting. We know that 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 all that fight will probably lower my heart rate variability as well. We've got all that research from the mental health space. Are are we? And I'm going to make a jump from your research because just for the audience, I'm not saying you're saying this. 
are, are will we get to the point where we just are separating the physical fatigue from any of the mental health components? I, and I'm trying to think about a sport, which I'm just going to go to an arena I know nothing really about, which is like track and field where you're just running, uh, you know, and I know their strategy. So please don't hear, but you know, you're, you're just like, you got to sprint. That's what you got to do. Does that fight with the spouse? Does that impact your data anyway? Is that going to be carried over to the physical performance? Or is just that exertion getting it out of your system in a positive way? So I, I guess I'm trying to think about this metric that kind of measures everything, but can also be impacted by things. Do you think we'll start to separate the mental and the physical in some way? Or do you think, or do you think about that differently in, in your work? No, that's, that's a very good point. So indeed, there's quite a few studies showing that heart rate variability is just sensitive to, well, essentially just a lot of things. Indeed, like yes. you mentioned, psychological stress, physical stress, even just slight dehydration. There's a lot of factors that can impact the heart rate variability, which, again, is it's sort of a good thing because it means it's sensitive also to yeah. a lot of these stressors because, again, psychological stress is a stressor, physical stress is a stressor. But in some situations, like the one you're describing now, I, I guess we can argue that your physical, let, let's say your your muscles, tendons, bones are already right. impacted by just yeah. having a conversation with your spouse or whatever. But mentally, of course, you might not be prepared that well. And that's also then being reflected in your heart rate variability. So there, I think it's good to, again, combine, for example, heart rate variability with both subjective and potentially yeah. even other objective measures. So then you can better differentiate between okay, your heart rate variability is low, but this data says it's high, this data says it's high, this data says it's high. As a coach, you can can then ask, you know, gives you an opportunity to ask, do you know, you know, what, what happened that might explain why this is lower? And then indeed, if that's the reason, then you can argue, well, okay, if you're feeling mentally ready to still perform well or anyway to just do a training session well we can just go on because i don't see any yeah. let's say physiological reason muscle bone tendon reason why you wouldn't be able to perform um so that can still get you that training session but um if you only have the heart rate variability data then of course that's getting a bit more tricky but well as long as you just are aware that it's sensitive to a lot of these metrics then even as an athlete or a coach then you can try and reason why might it be lower and right. if you then have like explanation okay it's just probably this part which doesn't impact my training i can just continue training or it's actually this part which might be relevant actually for my injury risk or for my performance ability then it actually might be good to adjust my training a bit interesting because that's where i just sort of what because i see this on the other side as well too is Hey, you know, from a mental health perspective, you go doing a workout, get a jog in, great for your mental health as well. But knowing afterwards your HRV is probably going to be lower, probably doesn't mean your cognitive performance is going to decrease. It might actually increase because you've got a good workout in, you know, so it's it's those tricky gray areas with heart rate variability that, that I think, you know, your work and others are really like, you know, okay, how, what what exactly are we measuring? How do we support this with those subjective uh, measures as well? Because that there's the limitation of, I think, you know, whether I'm doing it for mental health or you're doing it more for athletic performance, that there are all these variables that come in, which is a good thing. But again, we've got to yeah. kind of at least sparse those a little bit 
um, in some ways, which I think is the tricky thing that a watch might not be able to always do for you, even if that watch is getting really good as, as we go on. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the key is with whatever data you're collecting, you still have to give context to the data. And the, yes. the context is, is king, essentially. So that that lets you know, well, is this good? Is this expected? If not, can I explain it? And what does that mean for my training? Or you know, can I train? Shouldn't I train? Adjust intensity, yeah. volume, et cetera. And I wonder how, as, as you look at, we've talked primarily like about training, but but let's think about like then the performance, uh, uh, you know, uh, how to get people performing and showing up to a game or a meet uh, at, at peak performance. How do you see your science? Uh, obviously, training is going to be a big part of that. But leading up to that a peak performance event, how, how can we start to use some of the great data that you're collecting to help? ensure that hey on thursday you know i i need on monday i need to train well on thursday i need to be my best self how do you start to utilize some of this great work that you're doing to help me show up in my best state for the game that i have or the meet that i have on thursday yeah that's, that's another interesting question so i guess there are two parts to it we could use again the heart rate variability prior to the session on monday just to see how well or like how intense should that session be yeah um, and we might then adjust the training intensity a little bit and again there is some research also at least when heart rate variability is measured in resting conditions that if you compare it to just doing training as planned then doing training based on heart rate variability uh, tends to increase certain yeah certain measures of the performance and physiological outcomes um, so that's one way in which we might use it. Again, as I explained before, a second way could, at least in the future, be to just see how intense, how far should we be going during that session on Monday? So should we get mm -hmm. the DVA value all the way to the bottom? Or should we say, well, we have a, a race on Thursday, so actually I want to stop at a certain level of systemic fatigue because yeah. I don't want to fatigue myself too much. And then how you could use it potentially during the days after is there is some work again measured with resting heart rate variability just case study so it's not really strong um, but I now have to remember trying delve deep into my head but I think they'll be looking at the ratio between heart rate variability so not necessarily DVA but just some uh, the RSSMDE um, and just normal heart rate to see how well someone is coping with a certain taper period, for example. And that mm -hmm. might not help you directly too much during that specific taper period, but it can help you potentially in the future to see, well, that taping period, everything went well. So I might try and use that same taper period for this particular event because, you know, my, my sort of whole level of systemic fatigue or all measures that I was measuring there were, were suggestive of being it beneficial or perhaps actually not beneficial because the yeah. ratio was not that beneficial. So that's another way, I guess, by which we could at least in theory apply such a metric. Great. And, and let me just ask you about a word that, that I'm hearing and there, there might not be a whole lot to add here. Uh, as you talk about really that the readiness piece, how do you think about recovery? Uh, you know, I'm hearing this in what you say. So I just want to make sure that I'm not uh, turn, leaving any uh, stone unturned here. Like, how do you how do you see your research informing the the recovery uh, process, or just kind of how HRV has helped you think about 
I did have the big game on Thursday. You know, I've got another game next Thursday. Recovery is part of readiness. Uh, if there's just anything we haven't kind of uh, covered there with that. Um, yeah, I guess it's indeed sort of two sides of the same coin. So yeah. there, again, if you have, have something planned, so you could, again, if you were just focusing on the DVA now, you could use, again, the DVA value during a low-intensity bout just to see, am I recovered well enough? So is my training readiness essentially, again, the, the same uh, sides of uh, two sides of the same coin? So is that uh, yeah sufficient to do another training session or might I actually want to wait until the next day or just reduce the intensity a bit just to ensure at least from a systemic let's say more cardiovascular perspective which i guess it's primarily reflective of uh, am i recovered well enough so yeah. perhaps again good good to add there just a little bit as, as i just mentioned of course we're not really i, I guess at least reflecting or the, the heart rate variability not really reflecting recovery of let's say bones and tendons that will would be my uh, yeah expectation at least so that's always right. good to just keep in mind that what are we really measuring and if the heart rate variability suggests we are fully recovered does that mean the same for bones for tendons right uh, and also the other way around of course awesome so as you look at moving you know and, and you you mentioned this a little bit already but i want to make sure i i don't uh we we don't leave this unexplored either but looking at metrics um, I, I've been on this kick and it, people who've been listening to this kind of have, have gone that like, we, we haven't really created a whole lot of new HRV metrics in the last 30 years or so. Like it, there's yeah. gotta be more we can do. And then we've got the commercial grade products who give you a readiness score and they may generally tell you how they get it, but they're not going to release their algorithms to you so so we've got like things happening in black boxes which make it kind of hard to study if they're not going to give us the exact things they're doing so i i just like as you look at this and it's kind of we talk about maybe some of the limitations of are we measuring physical or psychological and currently we kind of are measuring all of it kind of how you're looking at the existing metrics is there any way this is kind of the map question of, of the month right now. Anyways, uh, that you see as, as, hey, there may be new ground that we can start to explore here uh, to, to really get better metrics of physical recovery and, or readiness uh, as, as we go forward. But as somebody who's done a deep dive into this, I, I'd love to just get your impressions about the current metrics, limitations, and where we might, is there any room for growth in this arena? Yeah, perhaps I guess one thing that might be interesting to discuss in relation to this specifically, so that's also one of the reasons why we use the DVA metric as compared to some other metrics, is that if you look at most other metrics that you can derive from the heart rate variability, they tend to be very suppressed already at low exercise intensities or just to mm -hmm. reach an idea, so to stop at a certain exercise intensity. Yeah. Um, or some of the other metrics might first require you to come to a lab and then you have to do first do a maximum exercise test to get your sort of maximum, your lowest or either highest sort of heart rate variability metric. And then it will, you can use some scaling to just see, well, this would be, if we're talking about exercise intensity, my VT1, my VT2. And the reason why we use the D-trend fluctuation analysis is that it doesn't require a prior maximum exercise test. 
and it scales also nicely over the full range of exercise intensity. So again, that's why it's really easy, at least in theory, again, applicable to apply in practice because you can just put on a chest belt, look on an app, there are many apps already available to compute a metric and just see in real time your DVA value after you've been running like for two minutes or something. So just to get a yeah. stable heart rate value. Um, so I guess that's one of the key advantages of the, the D-trend of fluctuation analysis, at least for determining exercise intensity. So if we look more onto, let's say, the recovery readiness side there, I guess you would need to compare different um, heart rate variability metrics with the D-trend of fluctuation analysis to see which one would be most beneficial. And to my knowledge, it hasn't been done during exercise. There have been some studies comparing this during resting conditions and then... Mm. If I remember correctly, typically they use the root mean squared of successive differences as well, the sort of baseline measure. And yeah. that seems to be quite reflective of um, yeah, exercise readiness recovery there. Um, but I, I wouldn't be able to say based on the current data, if that's the same, if that would be better than the trend of fluctuation analysis during exercise, if the other one would be better, I guess we really need a study to yeah, just answer that question, unfortunately. Well, I mean, in some ways, this is what I love about heart rate variability is we hit those questions fairly quickly. Uh, and folks like you take us another step. Uh, sometimes I, I think like your research uh, sparked like 20 new questions that I have. Probably, and, yeah. you know, so, so we hit this. And uh, the good thing I imagine for somebody like you is you're never going to run out of research questions in a career with where we it's kind of the fun being and, and still what's relatively uh, a new field. I know it's been around for decades now, but I think with the technology that that you you know you're mentioning that that we utilize, we can we can ask whole new questions and put HRV out there on the practice field, uh, on the treadmill, and, and get some new data. Which I'm just excited. But there's like all these those questions that run up against our our wall of knowledge, which to to me is a really exciting field to be in. So. Yeah, yeah, but you're correct. I mean, the field has been mostly centered around just resting heart rate variability yeah. initially and just different methods to assess heart rate variability, which has been, well, let's say at least fairly established by now. And then they moved on a little bit to just using heart rate variability in resting conditions to determine training readiness. And then at parallel, there have been quite a few studies looking at heart rate variability metrics to determine exercise intensity. And it's just more recently that indeed the DVA method has been used in relation to exercise intensity. And then even more recently to look at the DVA in relation to, let's say, just overall systemic fatigue, recovery yeah. and training readiness. So now it's indeed just the next part is to combine all that to do it preferably also in field because now we have chest belts that we yeah. can use in, in yeah, contrast to just an ECG in a lab setting. So that's still useful, of course but it just opens up a lot new avenues for different research questions. Well, and I appreciate your work for taking us a step forward. That That's the fun thing about the, the being a part of this podcast is, you know, okay, we, 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 we hit a wall and now boss is looking at, okay, what, what is, what more information, how can we push that wall a little further out with new knowledge and, uh, I just really exciting to talk to you. And I got to ask you my, my kind of standard, uh, innovator question as, as we, we sort of wrap up here is where, where do you see us five, 10, 15 years from now, assuming technology continues to evolve, 
that we're pushing that wall of knowledge further out as we gain more and more information. Uh, you know, as one of those people pushing that that knowledge further, technology's improving. Again, I'll allow you to dream a little bit here, uh, knowing we're looking in the future. Where are you going to be pushing these boundaries? You know, in, in the future, what what what's your kind of wish list of future studies? Where do you think we'll be implementing this into sports? Again, think 10, 15 years out uh, with where, where you see the, the the field going. Yeah, sure. So where I would like the field seeing going, and I guess that's also what I'm working on. Yes. Um, so is to have some wearable, ideally, because, again, we don't want to be bound to the lab, is that tells us, ideally, how intense and long should we be exercising today yeah. to get optimal health or performance. And both from, let's say, uh, I always see it as a sort of cardiovascular perspective and a mechanical perspective. Yeah. So the cardiovascular one could be something where we use heart rate variability and just subjective measures to tell us how fatigued am I today. Um, so that's what we've been discussing a lot today. And in parallel, what I've been working on, so that's work that should be out quite soon as well, is uh, we've been collaborating as part of my PhD with a company in Eindhoven, uh, Atogir it's called. They develop pressure-sensitive insoles that you can just mm. put in your shoes, running shoes, for example. And what we did in the lab is we uh, trained with machine learning. Uh, we uh, used to predict the load uh, on the patellofemoral joint, so let's say your knee, on your uh, tibia, so your, your chin, and your Achilles tendon. And we are able to quantify with, well, let's say reasonable accuracy. You won't mention any numbers for now until it's published, uh, but uh, the loads and also sort of proxies of damage on these different tissues. So we don't know exactly yet when, like if, if you have a certain level, is that gonna be too much for you or is that still right. like safe? But that's why I think we can go in the next 10 or 15 years. So at least we now have a sort of wearable that can monitor loading on different mechanical loading and different tissues. And then if sufficient people use that, something like such a wearable and get injured also, and then tell the app I got injured, then we start to know at which thresholds do people mm. get injured. And then we can in real time start to provide feedback based on both mechanical loading to prevent bone tendon injuries. And also on, again, I just call it cardiovascular loading to just optimize also the training uh, stimulus that we might need to improve feed to max running economy while also at the same time minimizing injury risk. So that's where I hope uh, I can contribute just a, a little bit to in the next few years. I, I love an incredibly specific uh, research description for this answer. I, I, I think I think you won the prize on, on my final question because <laughs> I mean, I love that. And I love the idea of, I mean, I've just been playing around with like, what can chat GBT and others do, you know, with all this information in a way where it's for boss or it's for Matt, knowing our demographics, our history, maybe our morning HRV score and bringing all these different things in is what we're going to learn about human performance and what sort of individualized feedback which I think has been such a limiting factor as somebody who's tried to figure out how do we give feedback to people in a halfway useful way is like the, the areas on give them their score, you know, give, give them a score, 
Yeah. The higher, the better. Uh, but we're getting to the point where we can just give so much more in-depth feedback. Um, and I love that, like, what you're doing with those insoles is so exciting because that just gives you that other huge data point to work with as well, which is really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I also like uh, integrating all these different fields, essentially. So it's uh, nice to be in the position where I am uh, currently. Awesome. Well, I'm going to leave you an open invitation. When you do get published uh, on that uh, next piece of research, love to have you back on the show and talk about your insights um, that, that you've gained from that and hope to continue to have you back over the years uh, to, to keep an eye. Because again, uh, like I said, it's just so fun to talk with people that are pushing that knowledge uh, and just how we use heart rate variability and expanding that and asking some of these really, again, questions that hit us back up against that wall of where hopefully our knowledge will expand in the future. So I, I just want to thank you for your work and just an open invitation to uh, come back and continue to share uh, your research as you progress as well. We'll do though, for sure. Awesome. Well, as always, we will put information about Boss in the show notes um, at OptimalHRV.com. Boss, thank you so much for joining us and uh, uh, really fascinated when I read the article. And uh, I'm going to be obsessing about this conversation for weeks to come. So uh, thank you for my current obsession. I really appreciate you and your work. Yeah, thanks a lot for the invite.